Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Welcome. Happy Easter. Glad that you're here. My name is Dave. I'm one of your pastors. Warm welcome to those of you here at West Dallas and a reminder that we're one church in multiple locations. So let me greet the people online at Sherman Park at our east side campus, Mayfair Road. We're so excited to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ together. We're going to be looking at that in Romans chapter 6. Bible that you brought with you, Bible in the seat back in front of you. If you're at another campus, it might be in a wire rack underneath a seat or a Bible on your smartphone. Uh, Let me start with a quote from Jesus. It seems appropriate, right? Revelation chapter 1, he says, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. If he has the keys, he took them from someone, and we're celebrating that today. Amen? Amen. Romans 6 is going to be a great passage. There's lots of passages that look at the resurrection, Um, but sometimes we can lose track of what Easter is about because of how we celebrate Easter, right? Uh, For some of us, Easter is just about really bad drugstore candy. Um, or whatever it is. Uh, I I spent a lot of time with my aunt and uncle growing up, and I had two cousins. They were quite a bit younger than me. So when I was in junior high, high school, they were at the phase where they were still getting Easter baskets from the Easter Bunny, right? And that was exciting, less because of the Easter Bunny and more because of the large amounts of candy. And uh, it was that spring that they walked out their front door, and their dog, a beagle named Troubles, appropriately named had gotten into trouble and found the family of rabbits that was living in their front yard. And Troubles had, how should we say this delicately, laid out the rabbits on the front yard. And the boys walked out and they're crying, Troubles, you killed the Easter Bunny, Troubles! And that was the moment that they realized Easter wasn't about the Easter Bunny, right? And sometimes what is in the center must be removed from the center so that what should be in the center can be there. You follow me? Sometimes what should be in the center must be removed so that what should be there can be. And that's true of Easter, and it's true of our life. Let's take a look at Romans chapter 6. And if you're a note taker, the first thing I want you to look for is that Jesus is the center of it all. Jesus is the center of it all. Romans 6, starting in verse 3. Do you not know? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And he continues on. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Note, there's other resurrections in the Bible. 
There's other people who prophets raised from the dead. Jesus raised Lazarus. But they all were raised for a short time and then died again. Jesus' resurrection is different. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Rome, begins with this question, do you not know? And he is writing to people who have committed their life to Jesus Christ. They're familiar with the death and resurrection. And and there's all sorts of accounts of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each have a very detailed account of the events leading up to and a detailed description of the crucifixion. Uh, detailed information about how Jesus was laid in the tomb and then how they came, they found the tomb empty and Jesus then appeared, not just to the accounts that we have in scripture, but to hundreds and hundreds of people. And the earliest accounts that the church had were were these first initial uh, witness testimonies of encountering the risen Lord and they began to circulate because it was the amazing miracle of the resurrection that led people to follow Jesus, and the church was formed. Now, eventually, those became the gospel, right? The, the, the apostles sat down, and they uh, made an orderly account. But Paul is stating the obvious. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the center of your faith. Do you not know? Jesus is at the center of it all. Jesus is at the center of Easter. But holidays are a funny thing, because sometimes what we're celebrating gets lost in how we're celebrating. Would you agree? Now, I'm, I'm a fan of Easter egg hunts. We're going to do that later on at our house. As our kids have gotten older, they've asked for it to be harder. We tell them to set aside about an hour. Okay? No joke. That's what they asked for. Your traditions, you know, might look different. We're going to eat ham. You might, you know, whatever it is. There's all sorts of fun things, and family is a part of any celebration. But sometimes we lose track of what we're celebrating when, when it's kind of confused by how we're celebrating jesus not the easter bunny not drugstore candy not even family jesus is at the center of easter jesus is at the center of our faith specifically the death and resurrection of jesus christ is at the center of our faith at the center of christianity and and sometimes who we worship gets lost in the how we worship, right? The the songs that we want to sing, or even the way the church looks when we walk in, or the denomination, or or the trappings of it, or, you know, maybe I'm not wearing a tie, and that really bothers you. I don't know. Probably not. But sometimes the who we're worshiping gets lost in the how we're worshiping. And there are literally billions of people on the face of the planet in this Easter season celebrating at the center of it all is Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection in this Easter season. Not only that Jesus is the center of Easter, he's the center of Christianity, but Jesus is literally the center of the universe. The Bible makes this claim in different ways, but there's this poetic kind of section of Colossians. Let me read it to you. You can follow along on the screen. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. We learn that in John, that it was through Jesus 
that the creation happened in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. He is eternally preexistent. We, we learned that when we, when we went through the study of John as well. And in him all things hold together. He is the glue of the universe. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. In everything he might hold first place. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, making peace by the blood of his cross. And therein is the message of Easter, that Jesus died on the cross and that his blood might allow us to be reconnected, reconciled, made right, have peace with God. That his blood that was shed washes away our sin, the sin that we're aware of and the sin that we're unaware of. And that when he, he didn't just die and pay the penalty for sin, but he rose from the dead, conquering death and sin, showing his preeminence over all things, even death, and then gives us that victory, that new life as a free gift. That's a free gift that we receive by faith, not because of what we do. But life is a funny thing. What our life is about sometimes gets wrapped up in how our life is going. The circumstance or the situation that you find yourself in. Yes, it's a holiday weekend. Yes, you're here, you're joining in. Whatever brought you to this moment, there's the circumstance and the situation around it. And sometimes the core purpose of our lives, the, the central reality of heaven and earth, the entire universe being Jesus Christ, is lost in the how our life is going. I'm sure that sometimes you can relate. So let me just ask the question. Is Jesus the center of your life? Jesus is the center of Easter. Jesus is the center of our faith. Jesus is the center of the universe. But he only becomes the center of our life when we surrender to him. When if there's anything else at the center... It's removed. And there's Jesus. The Bible talks about that process as repenting or turning from our sins, removing anything that is the center of our life that is not him. Later on is in this book of Romans, in this chapter of Romans chapter 6, at the very end, verse 23, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, in Christ Jesus our Lord. And there's a couple of contrasting things going on, right? There's the sin and death, which are, by the way, the same thing. Sin leads to death. Sin is just the process of getting to death. And then this eternal life, this new life, the resurrection life that he's talking about in our passage, right? That we're raised with Christ. If, if he's been raised, we're raised with him. We have this new life. So there's death and sin, and then this new life in Jesus. Notice the word used to describe death and sin is wage, right? The wages of sin and death, right? As sin is death. What is this? The new life in Christ is a gift. It's a free gift. It's not something that we earn like a wage. It's not something that we are good enough, we make God happy enough, and then 
he gives us this gift, right? It's something that he offers and we receive by faith. But in order to receive it, often something must be removed from the center of life, our life so that it might be Jesus. That's the essence of trusting Christ. And it's also the essence of baptism. Because baptism, if you're a note taker, this is the second thing, baptism symbolizes our union with Christ. Baptism symbolizes our union with Christ. Verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, it will be 25 years this summer. And there is such a richness to, to, to decades of marriage. We have four children. We have, you know, all the memories and everything that went with that. And all of that, all of that love, all of that time, all of that history is wrapped up in a symbol of a ring, right? With this ring, I thee wed. Now, uh, my first ring wore out. Uh, so I bought a second ring, and I lost that. Um, just as a side note, don't lose your wedding ring. It sends the wrong message. Um, but I lose things. That, that sometimes happens, all right? And so I bought another, you know, and I have, and then, like, when I go to the gym, I don't like the metal ones, so I got, like, the little silicone ones, you know, and some, you know, and they come, like, by the dozen from Amazon, so I've got, like, five, six rings. Uh, so let me be clear. I don't have six wives, right? The, the ring is not a symbol of each individual marriage. It's one marriage, the symbol, you know, it's not, they're not equal for equal. But there's still something significant. When I wear this ring, people know that I'm married. They might not know who I'm married to or how long we've been married, but they know that I'm married. It's a symbol. It doesn't do justice to the years of marriage, but it's a symbol of that union, that wedding, that love. And in the same way, baptism is a symbol of that being united with Christ. In, in verse 5, it says, For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Baptism gives us the hope of resurrection, right? If he is raised, we are raised with him when we're in him. It symbolizes that inward work that inward process that God has done, the, the receiving of the free gift, all of that happens by faith in our hearts, in our souls. But then there's this external symbol. Now, some of you might not be familiar with what uh, kind of uh, immersion baptism looks like. So we're going to show the highlight reel and you're going to hear some stories about how God changes people's lives leading up to the moment of baptism. And, and then later at the end, we're going to celebrate that live today. But let's take a look at this video. Check it out.
Before following Jesus, I was anxious, depressed, and angry, and I was in a world of darkness. Before following Jesus, I felt a lot of guilt over past mistakes. Before I understood God's love for me, I searched in all the wrong places. I was lonely no matter what I filled my life with. I believed in God, but He wasn't above me. I wasn't a practicing person of faith. I've always had a relationship with Christ since being a child, but throughout my life, between experiences and finding a deeper faith, this baptism is a way for me to show that I accept and surrender my life to Christ. Since following Jesus, He has taken away my anger and replaced it with complete joy. Since finding my faith, I am a more generous and compassionate person. Since turning my heart over to God, I finally feel content and loved. I know that God has a beautiful plan, and I'm in awe of Jesus' love for all of us. I feel reborn. Now He, He most certainly is above me. I can honestly say that He is now the King of my life, my Lord and Savior. Do you see it? Do you see the resurrection? Do you see death and resurrection? See the symbol and the identification with Jesus? And we're going to celebrate that later. By the way, Lake Michigan's usually in the 40s. This is yeah, 78. It's much better. So if you're getting baptized today, don't, don't worry. Um, but there's a newness of life. There's a joy. That's not the moment that it happens, right? There's nothing about actually going under the water and coming up out of the water that that does anything to us spiritually per se. It's an outward symbol of what happens inside. Now, I just want to say that I understand and I recognize that religious symbols can be confusing. And, and if you're not uh, used to churchy things, you kind of gloss over that. And I get that. And I understand that for many of us, we've been baptized. We, we follow Jesus. But it's a, it's a holiday weekend. You're here because... You're dating someone in a family and you got wrapped up going to church, right? Your friend invited you to Easter, you felt obligated. You could be here for all sorts of different reasons. I understand that. And so you can look at baptism and you can say, that's a little bit weird. You know, Christians are a little bit weird. That's true, okay? That's good. God calls us to be a little bit different. But this symbolism, I think, is very natural and very much a part of life. And here's why. I did this fully when I was in junior high because I wanted to be like Michael Jordan, okay? I loved basketball, and Michael Jordan, I was a huge Bulls fan. Michael, let me clarify, I am a Bucks fan. I want the Bucks to win. I do not. I'm not rooting for the Bulls. Please don't talk to me afterwards, all right? That back then, I was a Bulls fan, all right? I was a huge Michael Jordan fan, and I, my friends and I, in the summer, we would play basketball, and we'd get the poster, right? And it would have Michael Jordan. I think we have a picture of it, right? And he, you know, I would practice in my room. How is he holding the ball? Okay, where is his arm? Okay, I got to get this arm back here. Okay, stick the tongue out. All right, I'm ready to go play basketball, right? Because it really didn't matter about my dribbling or my shooting as long as I could look like Mike, right? Red armband, can not wear it on the wrist. You had to wear it up here. 
That is the process of identifying with who we want to be like. Gatorade made millions of dollars on this, like Mike, right? I want to be like Mike. This is the essence of celebrity endorsements. Those who we idolize, who are preeminent in our life, we want to identify with. So we buy their shoes and their jersey and their line of clothing or whatever it is. It's an identification at a deep level. Baptism is a natural thing. When we place Jesus at the center of our life to say, I want to identify with this central picture. I want to identify with his death, knowing that I'm going to follow him in my life to the cross. Jesus says, pick up your cross daily. But I know, I know that if I am in Jesus Christ, I will be raised with him, that there is a new life in Christ. Baptism is about taking on the identity of Jesus. It's a symbol of our union with Christ. So, Jesus is the center of it all. Baptism is a symbol of our union with Christ. And what's the end goal? These two verses that we're looking at. Do you not know, right? It's the assumption that the resurrection is central. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, in order that. So this is the whole, is kind of culminating. This is the point of this. This is the central part of our faith, the central part of this symbol, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That we too might walk in newness of life. That is the beautiful picture all throughout Scripture, right? That we would become a new creation, a new creature. That the old is gone, the new has come. That we've been born from above, born again. That we are experiencing the new life. That we, are new, we have new life in Jesus Christ. Or, as this passage puts it, we will walk in newness of life. It's a beautiful picture. I, I want to talk first about what new life is not. What this new life is not. The new life is not the witness protection program. Did you ever, you know... I always grew up with like movies and TV shows and I was always fascinated by the witness protection program. Someone would see the mob do something and then they'd want to testify and they'd be in danger and you know the FBI would scoop them up and then move them across the country to a new city and give them a new passport and new identity and a new job. I just thought that was fascinating. Don't you ever wish sometimes when life is going bad like that's how the new life in Jesus worked like the heavenly witness protection the heavenly helicopter just comes down scoops you up picks you up all your problems are left behind right. Just pops you down in a new city. That's not the new life. I'm sorry to disappoint you. The new life is not simply a next chapter. Okay? This is not a euphemism for passing over or going to the other side. This is our life, and when we die, there'll be a new life. No, the new life is promised now. Not in its fullness, but the new life that we receive in Jesus Christ is not something that we have to wait for. It's something that we experience. And even in this passage, it says we're walking in it or we should be walking in it now. The, the new life is not trying harder to be good or turning over a new leaf. I think this is important because some of you might be here today with all the best intentions 
but you've come to the end of yourself. Maybe you've been self-medicating through drinking or drugs or, or whatever your, you know, escape of choice is. And you know that it's just not going well, right? You're coming to the end of yourself and whatever that means, whatever situation you're in, and you know that it's time to kind of get your life together. And what better thing to do than to go to church to get your life together, Right? That's what people who have their life, maybe they, they, I see a lot of people who have their life together, they go to church, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to get my life together, I'm going to try harder, this is going to be the time that I'm going to stop all this stuff that's been dragging me down, and I'm just going to try harder, and if I'm surrounded by good people, they'll help me try harder together, right? Amen? Wrong. Just so you know, that is not how the new life in Jesus works. The Bible makes very clear, you and I are hopeless to save ourselves. And that's the beginning of the good news, is because when we come to the end of ourselves, and it is not our willpower or our strength to be better or our strength to rise above, then we understand that it is only the new life of Jesus Christ by grace that we receive that can change us. It is only by new life. The Bible actually describes us being dead in our sins. That's our state in our sins. Not, you know, ready to be healed or you know, mostly good, and we can kind of, you know, if God kind of helps us and gives us a crutch. No, we're dead. Our only hope is resurrection. Also, it's not a do-over. You know, new life in Christ is not a do-over. It's not a mulligan for you golfers. It's not a do-over. Every time we got in an argument playing football growing up, right? Do-over. All right, let's just do it over. It's not a do-over, and it's also not a get-out-of-jail free card or a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? I grew up playing Monopoly. The worst thing, you roll the dice, you land on the guy with the blue hat and the stern look. Go to jail, go directly to jail. But then you'd have the card, right? Get out of jail free card. And sometimes we view that like, I, I've gone to church, I prayed some sort of prayer, and that's my get out of hell card. And when I get to the pearly gates, I'm just going to show them my get out of hell card, and I'm good to go. That's not what new life in Christ is. What new life in Christ is if I were to put one word on it, it's simply transformation. Transformation. It's the grace of God transforming us, not because of what we're doing, but because of who he is. And it happens when we die, recognize that we're, we're dead, in need of a savior, and he gives us this new life, and then we walk in it, right? In the same way that we didn't have a lot to do with our birth, we don't have a lot to do with our spiritual birth. This is an act and a gift of God that we receive. And we receive this new life, and then he calls us to walk in it step by step, being transformed to be more and more like Jesus. Now, for some people, they, they turn their life over to Christ, and there's this lightning strike initial transformation. Freedom from addiction, marriage is restored, you know, whole, you know, a change into gracious personality, whatever it is. But whether there's an initial kind of group of transformations or not, there is always a lifelong journey where God is changing us step by step to be more and more like Jesus. And this is what this passage is saying, that we have been raised, what's the purpose of all of this? To walk, to walk step by step in newness of life. This is the call. 
day in, day out transformation by the power of God in our life. So as we think about this and we reflect on Romans 6, the, 6 these couple of verses, let me just ask you a question. Is Jesus the center of your life? What's the next step for you, right? We're all on a step. For some of you, your hearts have been awakened to faith in Christ, even just in these last few moments. You hear about who Jesus is. You hear that it's not by what you do, and your heart is alive. And, and, and it's as simple as, as when I'm praying, you can just turn your life over to Christ. You can pull whatever's at the center of your life out, repent from it, turn away from it, and turn your life over to Christ and say, Jesus, be the center of my, my life. I look to what you did on the cross as payment for my sin, and you are offering new life, and I want it. I want to receive it. I want you to be my Savior. For some of you, you're seeing the, the, the act and the symbol of baptism, and you've never taken that step. Um, and it's time for you to do that. Let me clarify, not today. You just can't walk up and get baptized, all right? There's a little bit of, it's not a long process, but like a little, little bit of a process. You can't just, you know, run up. It takes a little bit of preparation. But maybe that's the next faith step for you. And you've been putting that off for whatever reason. For some of you, you've trusted Christ. You've maybe even been baptized. But you've gone down a road that, that isn't walking in newness of life. And you've disconnected from, from healthy relationships and, and fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And, but God's been urging you and calling you back. And this is just the start of that again right? It's, it's reinvigorating your faith and continuing on that road. And some of you, the situation of your life has just overwhelmed the purpose of your life and who you're worshiping, and you just need to recenter and trust. And, and the struggle maybe has become the center of your life, and you need to allow the resurrection of Christ and this newness of life to continue to transform us and be our hope. So I'm going to pray. I would just encourage you, there's a, there's a connect card, and you, you can let us know. If, if you're going to turn your life over to Christ, there's actually a little place you can note that on there. If you want more info about baptism, you can let us know that. If you just want to say, pray for me as I'm reconnecting with God, there's a whole team that will pray for those requests throughout the week. And then when we receive, when the buckets go by, when we receive the offering, you can put those in and just kind of let us know. We want to pray with you and be part of that journey. Um, and I'm going to pray before we hand it over uh, to, to Pastor Tommy here, campus pastor and campus pastors uh, at our broadcast campuses. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your son that you want to be in relationship with us, that you desire to give us new life. That though we don't deserve it, you give it freely. That though we have earned the wages of sin, which is death, you give us the gift of new life. Lord, I pray for those who are turning their life over to you right now, that in, in their hearts they would just surrender to you and turn away from whatever they've placed in the center of their life and place you in the center of their life. Lord, if we have known you for years, but there's something else in the center, would you let us let go of it? And would you be the center of our Easter, of our faith, of our existence, and everything that we are? Lord, we, we ask that you would show us the next step in our newness of life, that we might walk in it, that we might 
proclaim your glory, proclaim your goodness, and that you might have your way in our lives and our hearts. Lord, we pray a blessing on this time of baptism that you would receive the glory in Jesus' name.